that shows us uh, how bleak it is to live without you. Help us to see just how precious that wondrous cross really is, because without it we could not live with you. Father, would you uh, speak about these things into our minds and our hearts and our lives just now for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. Well, we're, uh, we're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's page 668 of the Church Bibles, page 668. We took the first 11 verses uh, of that last week, and we're going through to the end of chapter 2 this week. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're reading from... Verse 12, page 668, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Uh, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also, 
Then what do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. And so I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Uh, this is God's word. Bleak as it is, surprising as it is, um, suitable for January as it is, uh, this is God's word. What would make you happy? Uh, what would make you happy? A week in the sun? Uh, yes, please. A round of golf? Well, it depends on your thoughts about golf. A nice walk spoiled, of course, is the, the classic summary. Uh, maybe a thoughtful gift would make you happy. Maybe you received uh, a gift at Christmas that was just so uh, precious, just so special for you. Um, maybe what would make you happy is a bit of help to get some things done. Uh, I'm quite um, kind of productivity-minded. I love to have a list and tick things off. If I do a job that's not on the list, I'll write it onto the list, I, even after I've done it, just so that I can tick it off. Um, so, you know, I love... I love to get a bit of help with a job that I think is difficult or I've been putting off. That, that makes me happy. It's not the only thing. I mean, I'm not a psychopath, but uh, it, that makes me happy. Um, somebody recently said to me that the best gift they could imagine would be a good book and a short stay at a hotel uh, to go off and read it in peace. Uh, that person shall remain nameless. Uh, maybe relationships and people make you happy. Maybe your achievements at work make you happy. Maybe you're happiest when you're learning new things, new skills, new uh, wisdom, how to deal with problems, how to help people. Maybe you'd just be happy if your football team could turn back the clock uh, 20, 20 years or so. Uh, maybe what makes you happy is the thought of making a difference in the world or uh, leaving something for your children. Well, Ecclesiastes uh, is a raw, honest, uh, and at times bleak sermon delivered by uh, the person who is the Ecclesiastes, it means preacher, teacher of, um, of God's people, of the Ecclesia, the, the gathering of God's people, the assembly of God's people is called the Ecclesia, uh, the, the preacher is the Ecclesiastes. Uh, and it's all about how to live well despite the utter pointlessness of life. Now he might be uh, King Solomon, this teacher, kind of teaching out of his great wisdom and experience 
Uh, it sounds a bit like that from some of the things that he says. Or it may be, it may be someone who kind of puts on a Solomon mask uh, and tells us to look at the life of the, of the wisest and wealthiest of kings uh, who lacked nothing and still was never satisfied. A man who lived a great life and yet died. A man who achieved great things after whose life they all crumbled. Uh, as even the, the kingdom uh, that he ruled was broken in two after his death. Uh, and in these opening chapters, that the preacher-teacher is establishing the, the idea that life is futile and pointless. And that's not an idea we, we like to hear or easily accept. Uh, we don't really want to think about it. Uh, and the sunshine, we'd rather just go out and enjoy that this morning. Uh, and we'll certainly try a lot of distractions to avoid it, won't we? Uh, and his big question is, what gain is there, or what, what do we profit for ourselves, or what legacy do we leave for others through all our hard work in the world? We strive uh, for permanence, but what do we achieve? And the teacher has argued so far in chapter 1, the first 11 verses, that nature itself shows uh, that there's no profit, there's no progress, there's no gain. The sun goes around and around, day after day. The wind blows one way and then it blows back again. The streams all flow into the sea, but they never fill it. Sights pour into our eyes, sounds pour into our ears, but they're never filled. And we realize that everything is wearisome uh, and bleak and pointless. Uh, all of life, he says, is hevel. That's his word from verse 2. If you look at it there, chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless. Uh, his hevel is the original word, but probably better uh, put as kind of um, ephemeral or kind of, you know, everything's a, everything's a mist. It's kind of there, but it's not there. It's, it's there, but it's not tangible. It's there, but you can't, you can't obtain it. It's not profitable. Everything's just a bit out of reach. But hang on, uh, we want to say, I'm not so sure I want to buy into that uh, just yet. <laughs> what about the things that make us happy? What about having fun? What about contributing to society? What about building something significant or growing in wisdom or, uh, or having our family? Or is there really nothing to be gained or nothing to be said for uh, a life well spent? And that's the focus on the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it begins with uh, an exercise that we could call uh, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. This is what it all comes down to. Our life's quest is to be happy. Uh, what that looks like for each one of us might be very different, but that's what we want. It's why young people go out to have fun. It's why some of the rest of us stay in to avoid fun. It's why a parent stands in a hot shower for an extra couple of minutes when they can hear that the kids are fighting in the next room. Uh, that's just to keep you happy. Uh, it's all about happiness, the pursuit of happiness. It's why some people go jogging. It's why other people do not go jogging. Uh, it's why you put your feet up at the end of the day. It's why you read a great book or watch a gripping TV series or take a holiday or apply for a promotion or try to impress your parents. It can even be why you go to church. Uh, everything to make you happy. The pursuit of happiness. It's our lifelong mission. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes is no different. So if you look at verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13, I devoted myself uh, to study and to explore and to figure out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. I'm going to figure out what life is all about. Chapter 2, verse 1, I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I'm going to find out what makes me happy. Verse 3, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. 
Sounds like a very 21st century kind of quest, doesn't it? I'm going to set off, I'm going to find myself, I'm going to find out who I am, what makes me tick, and what makes me happy. Well, in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, he kind of heads off to Jerusalem University. He dives into his studies, he listens to every professor, he passes every exam, he studies foolishness as well as wisdom, he examines madness as well as sanity, and yet, verse 17, I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. This is a guy whose office is lined with certificates, uh, degrees, academic accolades. He's published in all the peer-reviewed journals, but he's not happy. Verse 18, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Sometimes knowledge itself, depending on the knowledge, sometimes knowledge is like knowing bad news. I often think that we are uh, privileged to outsource our medical knowledge to doctors and specialists. I don't want to know all the things that can go wrong with the human body. Imagine you had to have a massive encyclopedia of everything that could go wrong with you uh, sitting at home and, and you had to diagnose yourself every time you felt, uh, felt unwell. I don't want to know, I don't want to know that stuff. I'll, I'll deal with what goes wrong with me when I have to deal with it, but I don't want to know all the things that could go wrong. Uh, I don't want to know the national crime statistics I don't want to hear about break-ins uh, or, or muggings. I don't want to hear about the seriousness of climate change. The more knowledge, the more grief. Uh, also, probably it's worth saying, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. That's another way that more knowledge leads to grief, isn't it? So if your aim, you're this academic person and the degrees are all around your wall and your aim is to know as much as you can know, well then the more you know, sorry, I'm going to have to read this bit. The more you know, the more you know you don't know, then you're going to be more and more miserable, aren't you? It's pretty depressing if you're an academic. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. Uh, well, that's, that's depressing. The more knowledge, the more grief. If ignorance is bliss, says the child's school report, then your child will live a very happy life. Uh, my, uh, my dad used to write reports. He would write things that were a little more subtle than that, but... Um, Sometimes would, would, would do things like that. If ignorance is bliss, your child will live a happy life. Well, we don't believe that, of course. We don't believe that ignorance is bliss, so we study hard. Uh, we try to get the right qualification from uh, the best college that we can. Uh, and for the record, anyone sitting their certs this year, I'm not giving you a get-out-of-jail-free. Uh, you've got to study for those. But just don't expect to find happiness and fulfillment at the bottom of an academic rainbow. Uh, well, so much for seeking wisdom. And so in chapter 2, verse 2, the teacher goes out on the town. It's open mic night at the comedy club, never laughed so hard, uh, but that seemed to, to kind of get a bit tiring eventually. But verse 3, it's off for drinks, see if the nightlife is where happiness lives. It is not. Uh, all our interests, whether it's football through to fine art, comedy to classical music, whether it's Pepsi or Pinot Grigio, it's all just distraction from reality. Lots of fun but there's got to be more to life. So verse 4, if happiness isn't the weekend, maybe it's the working week. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Monday to Friday. Look at everything he builds up over his long career. Let's just recap. Verse 4, houses and vineyards, the sort you see in the full-page uh, photo at the back of the travel brochure for the south of France. You know the, you know the sort. If you turn that over and it's all kind of Roman columns and whitewashed plaster work and beautiful rolling hills. He built that. Verses 5 and 6, gardens and parks. Sort of thing would make the National Trust jealous. Verse 7, 
a huge workforce and no shortage of work for them to do. Verse 8, massive uh, savings in the bank, a, a, a wide um, investment portfolio, a collection of fine arts and antiques, singers and musicians, and well, more besides, uh, money, power, and sex. Uh, and verses 9 and 10 talk about success. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Uh, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Some of these weeks, uh, I'll read to you what, uh, what it took to run Solomon's palace for a day, the number of, of animals that were prepared for each mealtime uh, for him and his, well, he had 700 wives. So let's imagine how many servants there are on top of that how many animals it took to, to feed everybody every day. He denied himself nothing. Sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, in a way. <laughs> uh, well, did it work? Did he find happiness? Well, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I have gained and profited nothing, says the man with everything. And we want to give him a shake. We don't really believe it. Uh, we think, well, you know, try me. <laughs> try me. I'll take my chances. Give me everything, and, and I'll see if it makes me happy. Uh, and so a lot of people will run out and buy lottery tickets, despite how many uh, winners end up bankrupt. Uh, a lot of people want to be famous, despite how many celebrities uh, need therapy and, and tablets, how many are depressed, how many tragically take their own lives year on year world pursues happiness in, in wisdom, in pleasure, in industry, in achievement. And we are somewhat happy for some of the time, but there is an emptiness, isn't there? You know, we might paper over the cracks, but there are cracks. There is a pointlessness to it. Why is that? Does this guy just need a shake? Does he, has he just forgotten to be thankful for all that he has? Does he just need a shake? Well, not quite. He does go on to explain himself. The, the pursuit of happiness is pointless because of death. The pursuit of happiness is pointless because of death. Uh, so the teacher's lifelong experiment, verse 12, has been to discover what is worthwhile. What's worth doing? What satisfies? What's going to make me happy? It's even explored, you know, folly and silliness and comedy and drink. And it's true, verse 13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Uh, just as light is better than darkness. A wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness. That's, that, that's, that's true. Uh, but verse 14, I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Uh, verse 16, the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man, too, must die. That's why everything is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. You know, life is like a, is like a racing circuit, uh, a race course, uh, and in place of that checkered flag uh, and finishing line, there's just a sheer drop off a cliff into an abyss. You get one lap on this race course, uh, and then there's no way to avoid it. Everyone goes over the edge at the end. It doesn't really matter if you set the fastest time or if you take the most pure racing line through all the bends. It doesn't matter if you slow down and enjoy the, the sights along the way. It doesn't matter if you go in a 
uh, a Formula One car or in a massive minibus full of all your family, um, everyone's race ends by going over the edge. And so in the end, it doesn't really make any difference what you did on the way there. Well, surely my achievements will live on, we want to say. We don't want to accept this idea just yet. Uh, You know, I'm going to build something that will outlast me. Well, verse 18, uh, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, but he'll have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Uh, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. So you achieve something great, but who takes over when you're gone? I don't want to start a political argument, but you might choose to think of this as the Obama realization. Um, I've done something great, maybe, uh, but who am I going to leave it to? Who comes after me? Or uh, to to change the subject off politics, uh, it's not every family that wants to pass on the family business to the next generation. Sometimes Sometimes the, 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 the old patriarch or matriarch looks at the next generation and thinks, yikes, uh, I'm not sure, you know, I've worked hard on this. I'm not sure I want to hand this over. <laughs> you know, I love my kids, but I don't know if I want to hand this over to them. Um, sometimes the, the next generation doesn't look like the safest pair of hands for all that you've built up. I'm trying not to catch anybody's eye as I say that, because I know there are some family businesses in the room. <laughs> uh, even if you've changed jobs, he said, moving on quickly, you might have felt like this. You know, you've poured your heart and soul into building something up and maybe a client base or a particularly good, like, proper way of doing things, and then you pass it on, and who knows whether your successor will have the same care and attention to that job as you did. Well, what then? Well, verse 21, a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. And so, ironically, we've come full circle to the same question we had uh, early in chapter 1. So chapter 2, verse 22, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. These are the questions that keep us up at night, aren't they? Uh, This too is meaningless. The pursuit of happiness is pointless because of, of death. Um, death's been on our mind the last few days. A couple of uh, funerals that we know of. Um, one here yesterday. I don't know whether this makes it harder to think about or, or whether they, they show us the reality that we, we so often want to avoid. Death strips us of, of all we own. We don't even get carry-on luggage. We leave everything behind. Yeah, wisdom is better than folly. There are better and worse ways to live, but all roads lead to that same destination. Every race lap of life ends in the abyss at the finishing line. All we achieve falls into the hands of someone else, and soon those who remember us follow us over the edge. Have we, have we faced that reality? Have, has it kept us up at night? We don't like to, to sit and think about these things, do we? There has to be a screen shining somewhere or a speaker blaring. We have to hear the radio or a podcast or something or be watching something or reading something. We don't want to be alone with our own thoughts. Uh, I, I knew some people, or know some people, who, uh, who keep a little bookshelf in the bathroom because, you know, 
Imagine the horror of sitting there with no distractions, just you and your thoughts. Uh, death robs us of our, of our possessions and gives away all of our achievements and, uh, and trivializes all our accomplishments because we all end up in the ground like everyone else, wise man or fool. The pursuit of happiness is pointless because of death, and that is bleak. So what are we supposed to do then? Well, there is one tiny shaft of light at the end of this passage, just the beginnings of the answer that this book will, uh, will develop a little bit for us, uh, and it's this. Enjoy life as God's good gift. Enjoy life as God's good gift. Look at verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Last week, we noticed a little phrase that chimes 27 times, I think it is, through the book, and it's under the sun. Here's a book all about life under the sun, life in the here and now. The point being that if this life is all there is, if life under the sun is all there is, it's pointless. It's, it's missed. It, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and I'm going to use some provocative sermon titles in this series, uh, as I have today. Uh, and they're titles from the perspective of life under the sun. Uh, so living life in the here and now, with no reference to God, who's been entirely absent from the book up to this verse, uh, living like that, we will never be satisfied. But can we never be satisfied? Well, here's the thinnest uh, little shaft of, of light in a bleak uh, subject where the teacher begins to hint that we can. Life under the sun says, eat, drink, and be merry because these things are great. They are enough. And if we just get enough of them, uh, then uh, that, will be, that will be enough. And if we're honest, they're not enough, uh, which leaves us two options, I think. Uh, one option is a kind of I don't know how to pronounce this word, and kind of nihilistic, 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 nihilistic uh, option. Eat, drink, and be merry because that's all there is. You might as well because that's all there is. There's nothing else to do. Or don't eat, drink, or be merry. It doesn't matter anyway. Eat, drink, and be merry because that's all there is to do. Uh, that's one option. And here's the other. Eat, drink, and be merry because that's what there is. Uh, subtly different. Eat, eat, drink, or verse 24, eat, drink, and find satisfaction in your work because that's what there is from the hand of God. So a, a dose of reality, a, a dose of death can stop us from expecting too much from the things, the good things that we enjoy. They can never be the be-all and end-all. These things that Solomon has investigated through his life, they can never be the be-all and end-all. That's asking too much of them. It's not fair. They can't deliver that. But when we accept uh, the reality of death, we can accept that these things uh, are given to us as God, God's good gifts into our hands every day of our lives. So, so under the sun, living under the sun, away from God, I might treat my lunch break as an inconvenient interruption in my work where I'm trying to get something done, something significant, something that will last. But getting real about death and receiving God's good gifts, looking to him for, for satisfaction and, and meaning, I'm going to realize that I'm expecting too much of the gift of work. It's not going to satisfy me. I might be striving to get something done, but 
that's not where I'm going to be satisfied. And then I'm also failing to enjoy the gift of food, uh, the friendships of those with whom I might go and eat my lunch. You see the difference? All this talk of death sounds morbid at first, but what if, what, what if death shows us how to live? Again, not in, a, not in a nihilistic sort of dark way, you know, enjoying the lunch break, living for the moment. It's all pointless in the face of death. But living in gratitude for God's gifts, living in confidence in, in, in Christ, it's not death that, that shows us how to live on its own. It's, it's death and the one who defeats death. It's, it's death that shows us not to just live, try and live for the here and now because uh, here and now is short and, and meaningless, but death and the one who will bring us through death. That's what allows us to truly live. So verse 26, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, to, to the one who wants to live under the sun, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Uh, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So you're either stuck in this pointless consumerism, chasing the wind until eventually you're snuffed out, or you look to God for the wisdom and the knowledge that brings true happiness. Listen to, um, li- listen to Colossians 2, where these, some of these terms come up as well. Paul, Paul writes, I want you to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God gives us wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Christ is the key to the treasure chest. He's the tin opener that allows us to get into the, the tin of true satisfaction and joy in this life. Uh, or if you, know, you don't even know what a tin opener is, the ring pull. You know, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, Christ is the key. In Christ, we can enjoy uh, all of God's gift, uh, good gifts for what they are because death is not the end. Not for those in Christ. Life's race course doesn't end in a, in a sheer drop and an abyss. Not for those in Christ. Colossians again, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In fact, in Christ, in the, in the realist sense, the spiritual sense, the eternal sense, we are dead already and alive again in a new indestructible life. Paul says in Colossians 3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's true to say that the pursuit of happiness is pointless because of death, but we have a Savior who defeated death. We have a Savior who jumped into the abyss to lift us out of it. We have died already with Christ, and our new lives are hidden in him. That word hidden uh, is a word that's kind of like safeguarding. It's where we get the word encryption. God encrypts our lives in Christ. Our lives are encrypted in him, locked away safely until he comes to give us more than we can imagine or understand. And so one last dip into Colossians, Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Don't live under the sun. Don't try to, to take God's gifts in life and harness them to, to see if they can give you more than they could ever deliver. Instead, look to Christ who is uh, in whom is hidden all the treasure of wisdom 
and knowledge. Look to Christ, the one who overcomes death to give us life. Look to Christ, uh, who came from eternity to raise us eternity, uh, eternally, uh, and set your heart on him. Then take and enjoy God's good gifts in this life. Enjoy them for what they are. Don't expect more than they can give. Look to him for that. True joy and true satisfaction come not from our striving, but from God's giving, from the gift, uh, the giver, not from the gifts. These things are, are not easy to understand. They're even harder to, to live out as we seek to live as those with our hearts and our minds set on Christ, not living under the sun, expecting satisfaction where we can't find it, expecting permanence where it's not to be found. Uh, let's pray for God's help. Uh, these things are hard to understand and hard to learn, hard to take on board in our hearts and minds, but we're going to pray for his help to look to him, not to life under the sun. Father, we pray that we would not slip into the world's way of thinking, living under the sun, striving for satisfaction in ways and in places where it's not to be found. Father, if we find this in ourselves, uh, help us to repent. Father, if we've never come to humbly accept that true life uh, comes from the Lord Jesus, uh, then would you help us to come to him, to receive from him, to trust him, to bring us from darkness to his light, from our sin to his forgiveness, from our death to his life. And Father, thank you that when we do that, our lives are safely encrypted into him, bound up in his own indestructible life. Thank you that that not only means that we have a future and one of, of unimaginable glory, but it means we can also enjoy the present. We can live now uh, with real joy, with genuine enjoyment of all of your gifts, because our hearts are fixed where true joys are to be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, we pray for your help to understand and to live these things for his glory and for our good. Amen. Well, it is easy to forget 